Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. So welcome to Haggai week two. So we're going to quickly review some stuff from last week. So who was not, anybody not here last week? We're going to go really, really quick and review. Um, So all of the information that I'm about to go over is at the website at the bottom of your handout. Uh, So you go to stewartheights.org slash Sunday school, all one word. Uh, There's a link there to what we are studying. And over on the right-hand column of that page that you get to is all the stuff that we're currently doing. It's got the teacher notes, the student notes, the PowerPoints, um, all that stuff, because I don't typically like to have a 10-page handout each Sunday morning, so put the pictures on PowerPoint. It works pretty well that way. So we'll go through some introductory comments real quick. So how do we pronounce this word? Uh, We learned last week it's Haggai. It is not Haggai, so it's Haggai, I promise. Um, Where is Haggai in Israeli history? So if you think about the kingdoms uh, of David and and Saul and David and Solomon, the kingdoms were divided uh, after Solomon. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. These names in yellow or in orange are the prophets to each one of those kingdoms. The northern kingdom pretty much stopped uh, when Nineveh, uh, when the Assyrians came in and uh, dealt with the northern kingdom. Uh, and took them away. Uh, The southern kingdom extended for quite some time. The Babylonians came uh, about 586 and took the southern kingdom into exile. They got out of exile. The Babylonians allowed them to come back. Uh, Cyrus did. Uh, And Haggai was the first prophet to the southern kingdom after the return from the Babylonian exile. So we talked a little about what a prophet was. is somebody who proclaims God's word. Uh, this is somebody who called Israel over and over and over back to the law. They had diverted from what they were supposed to do and called them back to the law. And then basically someone who saw the check engine light uh, a the- from, a, from a moral or a theological perspective and said, hey, we've got to stop and we've got to uh, address this. So a couple other things about how messages were fulfilled. Uh, last week we talked about mountains and how the prophets, when they would talk about prophecy, uh, many times only saw what was really immediately in front of them and did not see the different layers of, uh, of prophecy and how that would be fulfilled. So we see immediate fulfillment, we see future fulfillment, um, but a lot of times the prophets sometimes would get a glimpse into the distance, but they wouldn't have any idea on how far apart these events were. Uh, and all this information is from Terry Brown, fantastic teacher out at Saudi Daisy. Um, so a couple other things. So where does Haggai take place geographically? Well, it takes place in Jerusalem. Uh, so the purple lines here are the Assyrians. When they took the Israelites into captivity, they took the northern tribes uh, up and out. And then the Babylonians came about 120-ish years later uh, and took the southern tribe to Babylon. Uh, and then the king there was uh, dominant over so much space that when... Uh, 
the Israelites made a request, can we go back? He said, yes, absolutely, I'll give you a, a local governor to be in charge of you. Uh, so a couple, couple other things. Uh, the three big world powers in the Old Testament, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians, uh, the Assyrians were overthrown by the Babylonians, the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians, uh, and the Persians were in charge of the world when Haggai was on the scene. So at the peak of their power, they were it. That was who was uh, the dominant world power. And then I had this chart as well, which some of you just gagged at, and some of you went, oh my gosh, that's the greatest thing ever. Uh, so you can find this online, uh, again, at the website, stewartheights.org slash Sunday School. But it breaks down with years and some different events, and the, the piece to really focus on, I know you can't see all the detail, but this blue box right here is a 70-year captivity. And as soon as they got out of captivity, the Israelites realized we have to have a temple because you can do a lot of things in the Old Testament relative to the worship of God, but you cannot worship Him fully if you do not have a functioning temple. So as soon as they got out of captivity, they went and they started to rebuild the temple, uh, and then almost immediately they stopped because they decided that their own homes needed a lot of work. So they stopped for about somewhere between 14 and 16 years, and that's when Haggai shows up. And Haggai says, guys, 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 what are you doing? You have allowed God's house to lie in ruins while you go and you work on your own. We've got to come back and we've got to fix that. Uh, and then very, very shortly after Haggai shows up, the temple is actually finished. So a uh, big macro picture of the Old Testament. Haggai takes place, uh, your first blank on your handout, actually, if you're ready. Uh, about 520 B.C. Uh, I actually handed out some timelines last week. Did anybody bring theirs back today? Anybody bring theirs back today? Dave, you still got yours? Awesome. I'm going to show you how to tell if a timeline is really good or if it guesses just a little bit. Um, actually, the, the unfolding one. Oh, yeah, there it is right there. Awesome. So those of you that have timelines in your Bibles, um, if you ever see, and if you look up on the screen, you'll kind of see what I'm talking about here. You see the width of Joel and the width of Zephaniah? They're very, very small. And the width of Haggai, that it's a little bit wider? This is a guess. We don't know if Haggai was an old man or a young man at the time of the writing of Haggai. The only thing that we know for sure is that he was on the scene at 520 B.C. So when you see timelines and you see a broad band for Haggai, this is somebody who's guessing a little bit. There might be a little rounding there. There might be a little fudge work here and there. But when you see a dot, that is somebody who is sticking very, very close to only what the Scripture says. So when I pick up a theological resource of any kind, I've generally got four or five different things that I'm looking for, and now I have one to look at timelines with. So I've actually looked at this one in depth quite a, uh, quite a few different directions, and there's a couple things that are off you know, five, ten years here and there, which for our purposes is not a big deal, right, because we're looking at the macro story that's close enough. Uh, but if you really want to get detailed on some of this stuff, you want to look for a dot for Haggai. All right, so we also looked at the, uh, the Bible Project video. Um, did anybody go and look at any other Bible Project videos? Yes, a couple. All right, good. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to do so. They are really, really well done. They're very short. They're easy to understand. Uh, High-quality stuff, so a good resource for you. Uh, we read the book of Haggai, and then today, uh, actually look through real quick. So what was Haggai about? There's four different prophecies. There's one prophecy in Haggai chapter 1 and three in Haggai chapter 2. Uh, we'll spend two weeks on Haggai 1 and then a week on each one of the prophecies in Haggai 2. Uh, it's about prioritization. It's about putting God first and putting us second. Uh, Haggai is a bit of a cheerleader. He's probably 
I don't want to say he's a happy prophet, but he's not like an angry, bitter, old prophet, which a lot of the prophets, if you read through them, you get the feel that they just didn't like anybody and they didn't have any friends and they probably were voted off the island first and, you know, survivor prophet. Uh, and it just, it would not, it would not have, they just weren't, and, and many times they weren't really happy because the message that God told them to deliver, which was, you're going to die or I'm going to give you all into captivity. I mean, and it's just, those are not fun messages to deliver. And Haggai has a bit of a, a message of hope at the very end, and we'll talk about that in week six. All right, so let's look at today's text. So we're in Haggai 1. Uh, I've put all of today's text on your handout. So if you want to follow along in your handout, you can. If you want to pull out your copy of the scripture, please feel free to do that as well. Dave, every time I bend down, I am hot like crazy, so thank you. Um, I uh, rarely stop and thank the folks that help to make all of this stuff work, so thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate your awareness. Um, I spoke, I'm actually teaching this same material on Sunday nights at Saudi Daisy, and on Sunday nights I have about 20 minutes more than I typically do, 20 to 25 minutes more than on a Sunday morning. So I'm able to go into a little more detail, a little more in-depth discussion. And I started jumping around in the slides last Sunday night, like a lot, and somebody else was controlling the slides, and she never missed a beat. So if you ever want anybody to run PowerPoint for you, Willanna Roy at Saudi Daisy is the bomb. I have never seen anybody better. I bet I jumped around five different times, and every time I looked up, it was perfect. I thought, I just want to start messing with her now, see if she can keep up, right? Let's just have some fun with this. So. All right, so let's look at today's text, Haggai 1, uh, 1 through 11. I'm going to read all the way through, and then we'll come back and we'll uh, fill in the blanks and look at some details. So, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This says, this people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, in this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways." You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Says the Lord, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts, because my house... Because of my house it is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. So if you want a portion of Haggai that kind of feels like, I'm not really sure this is a happy, positive kind of guy. He is, don't worry. We're going to get some encouragement very soon. Uh, so let's, let's go through just a little bit here. So uh, King Darius. Uh, does anybody have the Persian kings memorized from like high school or college or anything like that? Yeah? All right. I don't either. Um, and I wasn't going to go into that. I was just curious if anybody knew them. Uh, but we, we know because they, they wrote so much stuff down about all their kingdoms that we feel very, very good. We know exactly when this actually occurred. A lot of the Old Testament you'll see that little squiggle mark in front of a date because we think it's pretty close within two, three, five, ten years maybe. 
But this is really, really good numbers around 520 B.C. Uh, and it says in the sixth month. And, and whenever the Bible gives us uh, indication as to when something happens either in the course of history or when something happens in a year, there is a reason for it. Our God never speaks a word that is not on purpose. So when you see in the sixth month, well, what's the sixth month? And you might go, well, duh, the sixth month is June. Because January, February, March, April, May, June, right? Right? No, absolutely not. Because the Jews don't do anything like we do, especially not their calendar. So that first picture there, the one uh, that looks like this, uh, is a, a pretty close approximation to how, um, how the Jewish calendar works. So for starters, their first month is Nisan. Uh, which is why I pronounce the car company this way, for those of you that wonder. Um, it's not Nissan. This is Nissan. So when I see you driving a vehicle and it's a Nissan, I pronounce it Nissan because that's my, Jew my Jewish joke. So there it is. <laughs> so their new year starts really in the middle of March. Uh, and it starts in that month of Nissan. You got the Passover and then the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Uh, second Passover in Yar, uh, Weeks comes in Sivan, then Tammuz and Av, and then Elul. So what day of the month of Elul does Haggai start? First. first day of the month. So if you look at your chart, the first day of the month of Elul is right in the middle of August. Okay? You go, well, what's going on in the middle of August? There's a lot of stuff going on in the middle of August, but they're about to go into a very heavy festival and feast season. They're about to hit the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Feast of the Tabernacles, the Great Day. All these things are about to be happening in the Jewish calendar. And, and the reality is, when Haggai shows up and he says, God's house lies in ruin and you need to deal with it, the reason this timing is important is because of the Day of Atonement. So they are about one month out from the one day of the year when the high priest is supposed to go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice on behalf of the nation and atone for the people's sin. And you can't do that if you do not have a functioning temple. It cannot occur. So the people should have been thinking about this date coming up, and then when Haggai shows up and he says, hey, this is important, you need to listen, oh yeah, what's happening in about a month? Well, about a month we're supposed to have the Day of Atonement. Uh, so this would have gotten their attention. Now, uh, let's keep going with this. Look at that second graphic on your handout. Uh, the big one that uh, looks like it's some sort of game that you could play. Uh, similar type of a concept that inner, inner ring has uh, the months of the year. And many of these will actually show up in the Old Testament. You'll see the word and you'll be like, what is Chislev? Like, I don't, was that somebody's dad? or No, nope, that's a month. It's okay. And then some of the months, uh, Abib is another name for Nisan. Uh, so some of the months even have more than one name, which makes it even more complicated. It, studying the Hebrew months of the year, to me, is about like studying the 12 disciples, because some of them have several different names, and you're going, well, oh, wait, 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 is that, is that this one, or is that, it can get very tricky very quickly. So is that because they're older? Yes. The inner circle, I believe, are the older names, and the outer circle are the newer. I taught on this several months ago when we looked at Jesus and the Jewish holidays. Y'all remember that? And there's a table that lists the actual references where each one of these shows up in the Bible. 
Oh, it says pre-exilic, post-exilic. Yes, I got it. I was right. Yes. Thank you very much. Know your resources. One of the first steps in public speaking. Yes. See this nice little table right here? That's great. Um, that's cool. All right. This is where I was going for Abib was Exodus 13. This is where I was trying to remember because I remember Abib was very, very old. So, all right, cool. So you just got to see me geek out there for a minute, so sorry about that. Um, so one of the reasons to know uh, the Jewish calendar is to just to be aware of what season of the year it is. Now, we started a new season yesterday, right? Yesterday, this week, a couple days? This past? At some point in the last few days, we started a new season. What is the new season that we are in? Autumn. Or fall. Or football. Thank you. All right. I was like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. It's football season, right? Uh, the Jewish calendar really only has three seasons. Uh, it's got a dry season, it's got a rainy season, and then there's a very short cold season. Uh, and the cold season is kind of wedged in the middle of the rainy season. So, uh, and it's really dry most of the year in Israel. It's just the way this works. So when, the, when this message is delivered, we are coming in the middle of August. So the the grape harvest has occurred, the olive harvest has occurred, and, and that's going to mean something for these words that are said here. This, this is going to be very specific. It's going to be conjuring up something that's very recent in the listeners' minds. So just remember, when God mentions time or references the calendars, there's a reason because it's going to help us understand the message to the original listeners. So let's keep going. We're still in verse 1. The word of the Lord came by Haggai, and his name means festive. Festive. And it, there's any commentary you pick up, there's like a billion guesses as to why his name means festive. The likeliest one is that he was born on a festival date or around a festival date, so they named him that. Uh, Haggai was a relatively common name in the Old Testament, uh, so it wouldn't have been uncommon to have a friend named Haggai. Uh, probably wasn't as common as like our English name John or uh, James or something like that, but uh, it was a pretty common name. Uh, we really don't know anything else about Haggai except what is written in Ezra chapters 5 and 6, uh, where it basically goes into a lot more detail of what happens in Haggai chapter 1. Uh, in Ezra 5 and 6, we see Haggai and Zephaniah, the other prophet that Haggai prophesied with, actually working to help rebuild the temple. So it's not just he told the people what to do. They rolled up their sleeves. They got engaged. They did the work as well. So Haggai's a really um, interesting character in the Old Testament because he, he didn't just sit from a distance and lecture. He actually got uh, very involved in the, prophet, in the process. He got involved as being a prophet too. But All right, so the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel. Uh, Zerubbabel's name means descended from Babylon. So he would have been born in Babylon uh, he was the governor uh, of uh, Judah, so this would be the highest political office at that time. He would have been directly appointed by Darius, the king of Persia, uh, to oversee this area for the Persians. So he was kind of the, the bad guy's right arm in this area. Uh, however, he actually was a good and decent man. Uh, his, his blood lineage went directly back to King David himself. So he was in the line to actually be a king, uh, but Jeconiah messed all that up, and that's a, that's a story for another day. Uh, so that's Zerubbabel. 
Um, so he was appointed by the, the Persians. Uh, he's the son of Shealtiel. Uh, his name is I Have Asked God, uh, the governor of Judah, and uh, to Joshua. Now, something I didn't mention last week, this is not the same Joshua that marched around Jericho. Right? That Joshua was 900 years earlier, so don't mix these two guys. Totally, totally different people. The first Joshua was so popular and such a big name in Jewish history, there were a lot of other Joshuas. Uh, Yeshua is actually the, the Hebrew word for, anybody know? Jesus, Jesus right? And Yahshua is Joshua. They're, they're very, very similar. And uh, G- many people think that Jesus is actually a, a derivation of uh, the name Joshua. So uh, Joshua, uh, uh, the son of Jehozadak, uh, the high priest. So, so Joshua was uh, the high priest here. And so you've got the, the leading political figure and you've got the leading ecclesiastical or religious leader. So Haggai came and he gave both of them directions to work together. Now, I'm really going to try not to get political this morning. There are things that the government and the religious establishment can work together on. And Haggai is an example of one. Haggai did not tell the government to oversee and dominate the ecclesiastical structure. Haggai did not tell the ecclesiastical structure to oversee and to dominate the governmental structure. He told them to get busy working together on a common goal, which I think this is a really, really good message to hear today. Um, all right, so that's verse 1. Thus, Here's the message. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. Basically, it, it is not time to go and to rebuild this wall, uh, to rebuild this, uh, this temple. Verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by Hag... Oh, I, I, I skipped. The Lord of hosts. Anybody have a different uh, translation in your Bible than Lord of hosts? Lord Almighty. Lord Almighty, right? Anybody else? There you go. That's the one I like. The Lord of Heaven's armies. So who's the most powerful empire on the earth right now? Persia, Persia, right? And Haggai is going to take an opportunity to say there's a bigger army involved, right? I am speaking on behalf of the king of the one who has all of the hosts. So he is basically playing his I one up you here. And we skip past this thing sometimes because we just gloss over the different names that are used to describe God. So the Lord of hosts says, so listen to me. This people says the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? All right, anybody got a different word for paneled? Luxurious houses. Luxurious, that's a good one. Anybody else? If you're going to translate this word today, wainscotted is a really good way to say it. It's, it is the idea that uh, there is something fancier than what is minimally necessary to live. Right? So this is not, there is no roof over our house. This is not, uh, the walls are falling down. This is, we have done ornate work to the side or the tops of our houses, which is more than was absolutely necessary. Just make sense? It is not a safety issue. It is not a whatever. It is a you had time to do all this fancy stuff, and you did it, and you left something that was really important undone. 
Okay? So I want to make sure that I am not communicating that if you have a safety or structural problem with your home, that you should ignore that and go do whatever Daryl tells you to do. Okay? That is not what I am saying at all in any way, shape, or form. I thought that was a funny, but nobody laughed. So. Okay. Like it was supposed to be a joke. Sorry. You're still freaked out about the bug, the, the critters, aren't you? Yeah, we are too. All right. So, uh, so that's verse 3. So is it time for you yourselves to dwell in these paneled houses and this temple or, this, or God's house uh, to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, or or literally, put your heart to your path. Uh, And the idea is that there ought to be some examination of what is going on in your life. It is good, periodically, to stop and evaluate. Uh, I don't know if I put it in your handout or not, but Proverbs 4.26 is a good verse to write in here. Uh, It's ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. And, And most of us are familiar with this concept of every once in a while it's good to stop and just evaluate. Are we headed in the right direction? Are we, doing the right, are we going the right direction in the right way? Is this where we're supposed to be going? Is this how we're supposed to be doing that? And this is what God is telling them to do in verse 5. Stop. Consider your ways. And then he gets into verse 6. And this, I think, is where an understanding of what's going on in the nation right now Uh, helps quite a bit. So verse 6, you have sown much and bring in little. So they are literally finishing with the olive harvest right now. And I can imagine Haggai's words, these people are listening and going, oh, so that's why there's not much this year. Because there's a bigger problem at play. God is communicating a spiritual issue through physical means. And he does this a lot. So, uh, volume is low. This is an indication of being unproductive land. So, he, say, he goes on. He says, you eat, but you do not have enough. So, your, your land is unproductive. And even when you eat the, what the land has given you, there is still hunger. So, you've got unproductivity and hunger. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. And it, literally, it means, in most of the really, really conservative Bible translations, will not translate it literally. Because it literally means not enough to get drunk. Which, you know, that's really hard to teach. Because <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that, right? Um, not enough to get drunk or to get tipsy. Uh, so I'll, I'll put it this way. You've got unproductive land, you're hungry, and you're dry. I don't know. Uh, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. Now, now, think about this. Where are they in the calendar? We're in August. Is it cold in August? No, it's not cold in August in Israel either. It's not some kind of weird time zone thing that just right there gets really cold in August. No, it's hot. But they're cold. So things are messed up. The land is not producing. They're not satisfied. They can't party like they want to. They're freezing cold. And then at the end of verse 6, and he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Nothing is functioning as it should. And they didn't have a reason why. And Haggai comes along and says, here's your reason why. Now, think about this. That, you know, 14, 15, 16 years earlier, they were released from Babylon. They got to go home. The people are flooding home. And the land is not responding like they wanted. They prayed for dozens and dozens and dozens of years for their captivity to end. And the captivity ends, they go home, and it's not working right. 
and it's not working right because of their disobedience. And, and God does this all the time. He shows us our insufficiency of doing things in our own strength so that he can show us his sufficiency when we obey as we should, um, which I think is the, like the overarching message of, of Haggai. But All right, let's keep going. Uh, verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. This is the exact same phraseology in, in 1.6. Put your heart to your path. Go up to the mountains and bring wood. Now, Sometimes we've got to go leave the comfortable where we are because we, we're going to leave our paneled houses. We're going to go up to the mountains and bring wood. Uh, this, would not, this wood would not just be lying on the ground. Right? You're going to go chop some trees down. You're going to go saw them the right length. You've got to get transportation there and back. You've got to make sure they're safe. You've got to make sure they're... I mean, it, this is a lot of work involved in this. I don't want you to think that, oh, this is a really easy thing. You ever chopped a tree down for the purposes of getting wood? There is nothing expedient about it. And they didn't have McCullough chainsaws, right? They would have had sharp objects. That's it. Yay, let's go to the mountains. Is it going to be colder in the mountains or warmer in the mountains? It's going to be cooler in the mountains, absolutely. And remember, there's a drought in the land, but God somehow manages to have just enough wood for his temple to be rebuilt, even in the middle of a drought. I love that. It's fantastic stuff. And go and rebuild the temple or repair the temple that I may take pleasure or satisfaction or delight in it and be glorified, says the Lord. So that word glorified is the exact opposite word of uh, vanity in the Old Testament. Something that's vanity or, or vain uh, is, is empty. There's, there's hollowness to it. There's no substance. The word glorified literally means heavy. It's, it's substantive. It's got some weight to it. It's something of significance. Um, it's the opposite of emptiness. And, and I think a, a thing to be understanding here is that who was the temple for? Who? Yeah, it's for God. Absolutely. It's for His glory. And I think there's a lot of things for us to understand from that, that God's house is primarily for God. I mean, it's got benefits for us, but it's primarily for Him. Uh, Verse 9, you looked or literally turned and faced something uh, for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away, or I or just puffed it away, said the Lord of hosts. Because my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. So, earth withholds its fruit. i got to think that the figs and the grapes weren't sufficient either. Right? So he's calling them back. This is your recent past. What you are seeing is a direct result of disobedience, of not prioritizing God's house above your own. The earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought. I called for a drought on the land. And the what? And the mountains. There was a drought on the mountains where they were to go and get the wood. I love this. God can make His purposes very, very, very clear. Because if you look around in the middle of a drought and there's one portion of the land that's in the middle of a drought but appears to be flourishing, this seems odd to me. Why would that happen? Because God needed those trees to go rebuild this temple. It's a beautiful, beautiful way of God uh, providing here. A drought on the land and the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine and the oil 
And, on, and so I love these kind of catch-all phrases. And on whatever the ground brings forth. So whatever I didn't list, there's a drought on that too. And on men and on livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Think about that. Every aspect of their lives, there was a drought. It wasn't sufficient. It wasn't, you could work as hard as you wanted to, and it wasn't going to be sufficient. That is going to be frustrating. That is going to get a lot of people's attention. And then Haggai shows up at just the right time, just the right day, with a message from God that explains all of these things. So um, let's talk about some application points here. So uh, the first bullet there on the left on the application is that God shows up on time. If you haven't noticed this in the Bible, that he is really, really good at this, showing up on time. Um, so the personalization, take notice of when he does. Take notice of the culture that exists in. Take notice of the geography, of the empires, of the time, of the audience. All of these things help us understand why he would show up then. Uh, God works to show us our insufficiency and his sufficiency. So the question I've asked on the right-hand side there is, where is God working? So where is God working in my life to show me a message that might not make sense, that I need a little more information on, than ask him, why is this happening the way this is? Help me understand uh, to show me how you are working here. Uh, Third bullet there is sometimes we must leave the comfortable and get to work. So where can I get to work? Um, the spirit, the physical impacts the spiritual, and the spiritual impacts the physical. Um, so what should we do with this? Well, I should examine my path. What's your next blank? Uh, God's house is primarily for who? It's primarily for Him, right? It's primarily for God. So act accordingly in worship. This is for Him. The, the question is not... What would I enjoy to participate in in a worship service? It is, what would God enjoy to receive? You flip that script, church is totally different. Because it is no more about this consumeristic American mentality of me, 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 me. I have to have completely customized experience just for me. No. What does God want? He wants us, which is amazing, right? Um, God's lessons fit the lack in his people. So what am I relearning? What, what am I having to relearn? And what is God trying to teach me through that? Is there an experience that we are going through repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly? Uh, I have lunch with a guy uh, about every two or three weeks. And first question every single time I meet with him is, what's God been teaching you lately? Every time. And it's a, it's a really healthy question to ask because if I hesitate, then he knows that I'm not trying to pay attention to what God's been teaching me lately. Uh, and usually I don't have to think very hard about it because what has been coming up in my life that I need to work on, that is sinful, that I need to repent of, that needs to change. And that's what God's trying to teach us. Uh, I think God's serious about his worship. Um, I think this is, if he is willing to take all of the harvests and mess with them to get his people's attention, I think this is significant uh, and lets us know that we should be serious about God's worship as well. And God prepares listeners for his message. He'd been working for a while on this. This was not a, this happened 10 seconds ago and now we have this message. This is months and months and months and perhaps even years and years. Uh, So we should listen. So we should listen. There's a lot in this little book. More than I thought. I really was kind of, in this, I'll I'll confess this to you. I picked Haggai because I didn't know anything about Haggai. We needed to do a prophet because prophecy is just not my favorite thing in the world. And I thought, 
there is just not going to be enough to talk about. That thought went through my head. Like, your Sunday school teacher, I'm just confess here, didn't think that God's Word had enough to talk about. So I apologize to you, and I, I trust you. Trust me, I've already apologized to the Lord several times for this. Uh, repented of that lack of faith. But uh, So next week we'll look at those next uh, four verses, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Uh, talk about the people's obedience. This is kind of the fun part of Haggai because they, they get to work. It's not just listening and, and not doing anything, but they get to work. So thank you for coming to Sunday school today. Uh, your weekly update is in the middle, so take a minute and read through those prayer requests. Uh, we would love to pray for your prayer requests. If you want it to show up in next week's handout, put it in the uh, second section there, the ongoing, and we'll put it. In, we'll include it. We'll also share those on our Sunday School Facebook page. Uh, it's a it's a secure closed group, so uh, as long as Zuckerberg doesn't let us down, we're good to go there. And um, thanks for coming today. So pray as a table, and you can be dismissed. Mm-hmm.